Welcome back to another edition of the Athletic Fortitude Show with us today, and uh, I'm really excited to get him on. Uh, I've been following his stuff for a long time now, so it's really cool for me to get him on the show. His name is Matthew Calderoni. He's the co-founder and CEO of Molotium. He has worked with some of the most highly rated individuals that the professional sports and business world has to offer. He's a self-made success and has created an unbreakable system that has helped countless individuals build a resilient mindset. Through his experience of working with various professional athletes and elite business professionals and being an ex-professional soccer player himself, Matthew understands both the highs and lows that are associated with being a former or being a performer. He is one of the first in his craft to tap into the lifestyle of a resilient competitor versus the psychology and has found that successful performances go beyond the performance environment. Hey, Matt, so feel free to say hello and introduce yourself. Dude, well. <laughs> Well written, I like that. <laughs> um, yeah, man. No, I'm 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 excited to uh, to just dive in. Like when you originally reached out and just want to have a conversation, those are the best kind of podcasts that always come to be. So I love having combos about this. So I can't wait. Yeah, me me too. It's it's honestly a, a topic that you and I both love, but I don't think enough people are out there talking about solutions, and that's one thing I, I really appreciate you know, about mm -hmm. your content and, and your work is it's always solution based. It's always about, Hey, how mm -hmm. do we overcome this? How do we fix this? Yes. Um, so you're, you're, you have some of my favorite stuff and it's, it's an honor for me to have you today. That's awesome, man. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get started. Cause one thing that, that you, that you highlight on, on your website and your page is the four quadrants to resilience. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important to highlight each one of these. So when we talk about the first one you have in the four are competence, commitment, focus, and toughness. Yeah. So I want to go into that competence piece because I feel like that's a piece that often gets missed. So mm -hmm. my question is, can you define competence in, in the way that, that you highlighted for the quadrants of resilience? Yeah. So it's funny because competence actually is, it's the second, if you could picture like a, a pyramid, right? <clears throat> The base of everything is the commitment, and that's the first level. Competence always comes after commitment. So competence for us is just the way we use kind of our lingo around here is knowing yourself so damn well that when any kind of adversity strikes or you want to get to the next level, you know what you're made of, you know what you're capable of, and you know that you can handle the situation. So a lot of times what we find is people make the commitment the first step but the competence oftentimes isn't there. And what's funny about competence that I've come to realize and my company has, and my brother too, who, who's the co-founder in it as well, we've realized that competence, funny enough, is often the thing that manifests the worst, right? So when you look at it, it's like, like we have a lot of athletes that will come to us sometimes and be like, well, I can't focus. It's like, well, tell me what you're really good at and tell me what you should be focusing on. And it's like, what do you mean? Right. Yeah. And it's like, see, that right there is oftentimes where people, because they don't have the competence in themselves, they often start looking to the environment for other things. Right. So for us, it's like, if you're going to build someone who's resilient, yes, you need a why and you need a purpose. It's always the foundation. But the competence really is the most, it's, it's one of the most important things to build because the other two actually become really easy, like the focus and toughness when you're sure of what you know you need to do and of who you are as a person, right? So when it comes to then competence and we're looking at an athlete or someone's looking at themselves and trying to be self-aware, self-evaluate, mm -hmm. how can you find those unique things, particularly in the world of sports, where if it's basketball, there's so many people who can shoot threes or yeah. so many people are athletic. 
how do you really find those unique things that you're competent in that can't really be replicated by someone else? Or if they can, you're at least at the upper tier of of having these skills. Okay. So man, this is a great one because I feel like, so we, and we, we are very careful on preaching this because sometimes it can be taken too far, but uniqueness, right? So I feel like people think that uniqueness means that you have to reinvent the wheel. Uniqueness simply means to us, at least like, you know what you do so well, and you know what you do really well, and you stick to that no matter what. And that's oftentimes when you look at it and people are like, wow, that's so unique. So what's interesting about that is on their own, your strengths, if you will, or the things that you're really good at don't seem like something special, right? Where it's like, well, to your point, I shoot threes. I, you know, drive the basket and I'm a menace defensively. And it's like, well, okay. So if you think of something for a second on its own, probably aren't super sexy, but when you really put it and craft it together and you say, I do those things, three things consistently, that's funny enough. That's what Larry Markkinen sticks to one of our clients. Right. And it's like, if you break that down though, it's not special. The fact that Larry does it on a consistent basis though is what's special about it because the other side to it that a lot of people don't realize when you identify what those three strengths are, and I'll talk about in a second too, how you can do that if some people aren't aware of it, but the other side to it is also understanding the mindset that you're in and what mindset you're in that puts you at your best to use those strengths. So like a lot of times, if I were to go shoot a three ball drive the lane and be a menace defensively, I'm not going to be as good as Larry Markinen, right? And obviously there's the physical skill there that I'm not good enough at, but Lowry's mindset behind it is what makes him special. So where a lot of guys are constantly pressing, 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 Lowry's mindset without diving into too much of it is more so on a level of like playing chess and being a lot calmer than some guys that need to get riled up and go hard at it, right? And that's not to say that one or one way or the other is right or wrong. It's what works for Lowry and what makes him unique. So when you look at it that way, it's for us combining those two things is getting very clear on the three things that you do together very well. And then it's defining the mindset that you're in when you're playing at your best. And if you don't know how to find these things, what we always look at, we always say borrowing that third set of eyes, right? Where it's like, find somebody who's already succeeded at that level that you want to be at or as somebody that coaches people at that level that you want to be at and have them be an expert in the sport and weigh in for you after watching your game. Because a lot of times, like, you know, it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like creative artists, right? Which I fully believe every athlete is when you're being creative, sometimes you don't know how you're doing it and that's okay. Right. But if you look at it, it's like a, a lot of times with my brother, or even my wife, it's like, you're really good at that. It's like, I am. It's like, yeah, you're really good at that. It's like, I never really thought about it. So it's, it's taking the time to have that. And then also obviously too, where I challenge a lot of athletes, a lot of times it's like, when was the last time you really actually did slow down though, and try to identify these things? Cause oftentimes it's like, when it's going good, you take it for granted, right? It's like, well, I don't have to worry about that. It's going well, just run through it. It's like, when you, when it's going well, that's when you should be getting out the journal, writing everything down that you're doing so you have a system to come back to. So we call it your resilient system, knowing your three strengths physically, the mindset that you're in, and then having that third set of eyes that can help you kind of get feedback on it for. So I want to dive into the mindset piece because I feel like you frequently see it on social media or people talking about it. Oh, my mindset changed. My mindset changed. Mm-hmm. How do you maybe identify the the mindset that will work for you, whether it's being calm or whether it's being aggressive or whether it's a, a combination? So for us, we like to study past events a lot, 
I think that's probably one of the best ways to do that. Also borrowing again, that third set of eyes to say, Hey, you know what, when you, when you see this is where you have to be careful with it a bit. So a lot of times people say when you play angry is when you're good. It's like, it's not necessarily anger. And it's also something that we realize too, on the mindset side where it's not necessarily aggression, it's actually determination. Right. And it's like, what people don't realize is if you're determined, you're going to be all in, you're going to be yeah. doing what you need to do. You're going to find a way or make one. Like if you're determined to get it, you're going to have all those things. You're also going to know when to be calm. You're going to, so for us, it's like, you need to find what that is. Sometimes you need to push it a little more and be a little more excited. Sometimes you need to turn that down, but that's why, like we say, whenever you're tapping into a peak mindset or for peak performance, because I feel like so many people throw that around, right? Like being in yeah. peak performance or flow state, it's like, yeah. it really comes down to three things and funny enough, but peak performance can be used synonymously with enjoyment, right? Yeah. When you're enjoying yourself, you're killing it. And it's like, okay, so what really is that enjoyment? It's like, well, first things first, you need to be certain of yourself. If you're not certain of what you're doing, you're not going to enjoy yourself. The second thing is you need to make sure you have something that's specific to you that excites you with it. And it's like, okay, well, and that's the determination part. It's like, do you have your commitments down? And then the last part is understanding, okay, so I need to make sure I'm concentrated. Do I know what I need to focus on? And if you have those three things, you have that determination, certainty, and your focus, you can crush it when it comes to peak performance, right? So it's like defining that sometimes you need to turn that excitement up or sometimes down. I would say playing around with that is one of the best ways to do it though. Like study your past events. Are you at your best when someone said something and then you're determined to prove them right or wrong? That's a real thing. You know, is it maybe when you've realized you're talking to that person in your life that helps you just calm things down and you can see things as they are? Is that what it is? But you have to be able to at least look back on your own, we'll call it track record and ask yourself like, what was it for me? You know? I think something you said that gets lost in the shuffle a lot is the element of enjoyment and mm. how important that is. Because in a world where there's there's business deals, there's uh, marketing deals, there's coach pressures, teammate pressures, family pressures, a lot of different things can steal your your enjoyment from it. Um, mm. And I know you you said a few things there on to elevate your enjoyment, but could maybe dive a little bit deeper on how to truly just in the midst of all the things that kind of suck or can distract from the fun or the enjoyment of the game, how to really go back to finding enjoyment in your performance. I love that. And this is a very kind of uncommon take, especially on, on sports teams. But so whenever we're working with coaches, like team coaches and teams, it's like, you guys need to make sure your players are selfish. And it's like, what? It's like, well, let's be real for a second. So let's talk pro environment, um, NCAA environment, collegiate, and then let's talk youth athletes. Okay. So pro environment right away. If you have, let's say 20 guys who are all individually in that sport for something else, you can't expect them just to get hyped and rallied around your team message. It's a beautiful thing to hope for, but the guy who's about to go sign a contract next year and it's his contract year he's not going to rally around that team message as much as you think he is very much so looking out for himself same as the quarterback who just got signed in his first pro deal is much more motivated than that by that team message of proving himself than he is going to be anything else right so it's like you want your players to selfishly have something they're focused on so you can guide them with the team message to say that's fine we're going to do all that you can actually do it through the team let's win Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, so that that's the first part. So when it comes to enjoyment, 
and and it's the same thing I should say quick on the NCAA level. It's like there's some guys who are just or gals who are there to get a really good recognition and then they want to go into the business world. That's a great thing because they're still going to be motivated to, you know, work hard for the team or, and themselves. Then there's some that want to go the pro route. And when you're a youth athlete, it's like, well, you want to do one of two things as well, right? You're either here to be at your best and that's what you want to do. And you want to learn great life skills. That's awesome. Some want to go to the pro level. Like I learned when I was 12 years old and that's what I was focused on. But point is it's the way to find enjoyment, at least that we found you need to have something that's meaningful to you. And that means getting selfish to be selfless. And it's like, well, okay, well, selfish is bad. It's like, not really. Let me give you a scenario for a sec. If there's an old person who's about to go into a, a building and you know, as a young person, you can go hold the door open for them because that is going to be something that makes you feel good. Is that really a bad thing? And is that a bad way of being selfish? Absolutely not. You did it for yourself, but you benefited that old person, right? Yep. It's the same way that I see it. I don't know what that is, but it's the same way that I see it too when it comes down to the sports world. It's like, if you want to enjoy yourself, the only time I often find athletes who are not enjoying themselves, they're feeling burnt out, they're going through it, there's not that big picture there that they feel they're building towards. And if you are an athlete who's lacking the enjoyment in sport and you're lacking that kind of focus on you know, what really gets you going, you need to slow down and define what the big picture is for you again. And for me, it was always like, you know, I want to be able to play pro soccer. I went and did that. And then it became something where it's like, I want to start this amazing business. It's the same thing as me in the business world. It's like, am I here to, you know, am I motivated by helping every single athlete that we can? Absolutely. But I'm also more motivated by building a massive company. I think that's really fun for me. And I want yep. to go do that. So it's like, I'm benefiting all the athletes by training our coaches to be their best, but there's that selfish drive there. So it's like when there's athletes who are lacking that enjoyment, the first thing is coming back to your big picture. The second thing is also re-identifying your strengths. Like we had an athlete one time going through it in the NHL and I hate to say it, but a lot of times what people don't realize about professional coaches, they are often... Every, every professional coach is in job preservation mode. Yep. It's just the reality. And it's not yep. a bad thing. I think that's another thing that people are like, oh my God. It's like, no, it's not a bad thing. But you need to know the animal you're dealing with if you're going to be at your best, right? So it's like, okay, we had a player who coach was throwing him on the fourth line. He was not a fourth line player. He was evidently a first line player, second line player in the NHL, top two lines and playing that scoring role. And he's been thrown now into those bottom roles. And it's like, well... Naturally, the kid's starting to go to work every single day, doing a job he doesn't like, doing something that's you know not enjoyable for him. And it's like, okay, so what do you do? We redefine the big picture, but then we found him, we helped him get back to those strengths and find ways within the game of the role he was currently playing to utilize those strengths again. Because that unenjoyment was coming for him from being unsure of himself, where it's like, I don't really know what I'm doing right now. I, I don't really play that kind of a role. It's like, well... What do you normally do well? It's like, well, my my speed, my shot, and you know my overall physicality and, and aggressiveness on the forecheck. It's like, okay, can we work that into what you're doing? It's like, well, I guess we can. And it's like, that's when things get enjoyable again, right? So for us, whenever we have an athlete that's going through it, we tie those two back together and we try to link them up. Usually it's one or the other. Really well said. So when we're looking at that enjoyment, everything ends up tying together uh, as I've learned and continue to learn. How much does enjoyment go back into toughness? Then uh, again, one of that four quadrant, when we're trying to develop toughness, 
Mm. You know, maybe how do you do that? Does enjoyment play a role in that or that's not one of your focuses? To be honest with you, I think there's a lot. I call it blind positivity. I think there's a lot of blind positivity in the field where it's like, especially that gets preached on to athletes and it's not a shot. I get everybody has their own methods and their own philosophies, but you know, I think it's naive to believe, man, that everything is just good and great. I think that's very, I think that ignorance is actually pain more than it is anything else because it's, you kind of, you push off the situation. And then when you're reflecting at the end of the year, it's like, oh, you know what? I should have done that. We like to use something in that scenario called um, realistic optimism. And it's like, okay, so this is the reality of what I committed to. This I'm going through it. But I know if I get back to the foundations and the basics, I can get through this. Is there a lot of enjoyment that I find in the toughness era of like going through that kind of, we'll call it adversity or push? No, I don't think there is. But it's (laughs) like, if you have... That's why we always say on those on those pillars, right? It's like, okay, if you look at it as building up into a pyramid, there's commitment, competence, focus, and then toughness is a result of those three things. Usually it's like, if you know what you want and why you're fighting, you're sure of what you need to do in yourself and the skills you have, and you're focused on the big picture and the one thing you need to do, toughness will almost come as a byproduct of those three things, right? So it's like, is toughness the most enjoyable thing? Not really. But is it if you have a commitment and something that means something to you, can you get through it? Yeah, you can. That's awesome. Now, I think one thing you said, too, is, you know, realistic optimism. I use the word Mm -hmm. rational. I'm a big believer in rational optimism. There's a big difference between that and blind optimism. Yes. Um, So now I want to transition to to the next kind of topic, and it's the five challenges that all athletes deal with. Mm -hmm. And the first one. I've really come to adopt this recently. So it's actually kind of ironic that it's coming up, but most people won't understand you. They're uh, not gonna, yeah. They're not going to see your dream. They won't see your vision and that's okay. We're one percenters. So I kind of want to hear you dive into, to, into that pillar a little bit, man, that, so it's funny. A lot of these times that we create our social with our team here that we have and such. So it's my brother and myself that direct the social because we try to keep it as at home as possible, right? Yep. And it's funny because that post was almost like a almost like a reflection of what I was going through when I was an athlete. Yep. And I'll never forget it, man. Like that point hit home a lot for me when we were creating that piece because it's like I was 12 years old, fat and overweight as a soccer player. <laughs> And I was telling people and walking around school saying, I'm going to make it as a pro player. And everyone's like, no, you're not, dude. Like, look at you. You're not going to do it, man. And it's like what people don't realize is whenever you cast a vision, it could be to build a big business, could be to like the guy behind me become an NBA all-star. Like people are going to look at you half crooked sometimes and be like, really? Like, that's what you're going to do? Especially when you start to understand the psychology of people and their beliefs, which is a lot of people's beliefs aren't designed to push in, push themselves to the next level. And it's like, I call it one, we call it one percenters here, not because it's any kind of cliche term, but it's like 1% of people will really probably understand you. Yeah. 99% of the others are going to have some version of what they think is possible when really it's like, if there's one thing I'm learning with these individuals who are being super successful, they don't need anybody to believe in their vision with them. It's not even that they have, man, full, absolute conviction that it's going to work. 
What they do have, though, is a conviction to do everything in their power possible to give themselves the best chance to win. And when I see people with that, there's a very small community of other people who also have that as well. Right. So it's like for us, I think it's hard. I think this is why we say all the time, too, because we put that piece out around the holidays. And it's like one of the hardest times for athletes, I believe, is coming home for the holidays. And it's not because of the comfortability of routine. Sometimes that is it. But most of the time, it's seeing those family members that don't see what they see. Yeah. Right. And, that, and that's it's a like, real thing. It, it's it is real and it's tough, but it's it's part of it. And it's like, hey, you know what? Associate with those who have gone through it. Know that your circle is going to be small. Like people throw that term around, like keep your circle small. But the reason it's small is because a lot of people don't realize what you're working towards. Now, is there an element of that 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 I think can be powerful that I've realized with myself is maybe sometimes I don't need or, or want to be understood as long as I understand myself and what I'm doing. Yeah. So is there an element to maybe like being not not arrogant about it, but being like, I don't need you to understand me. As long as I understand myself, that's kind of all that matters. Does, does that make sense what I'm saying? Absolutely. Man, if you look at it too, and you just study any event that happened in history, all the great leaders did that. Yep. It's like, you don't have to see what I like. I don't expect you to see the fact that I'm going to be doing this or that or the other. I don't expect you to understand the Roman Empire is going to be, you know, a thousand years old and it's going to be going strong. Like, no one saw that at the start. I think people have to really realize everything starts first as just it starts as an imagination. Doesn't matter what it is. Like everything you look around you, there was this really good quote I heard from Steve Jobs. And it was something of the sorts like, it's interesting when you look around you and realize that everything around you was literally created by someone. And anything anything down to the 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 panels on the wall to the lights behind me, to the picture frame, to that hockey stick, to the books, to the color even, just the color. It's like somebody made that. And it's it was funny because he goes, when you realize that you can push on something and there's something that comes out on the other end, then you start to realize you're really how powerful you really are. And it's the same thing when it comes down to that part like you're talking about. Like, It's not necessarily an, I wouldn't even call it an arrogance, man. You know what it is? It's kind of just like you don't have time for the other things. Like you're focused. You know, you're yep. committed, you're locked in. It's like, this is what I want. I'm going to go do what I can to give myself the absolute best opportunity. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, okay, I'll just find another way. Like people also don't realize speaking to, to your profession in sport and, and football, like everybody studies the sexy Tom Brady after however many seasons he played in the NFL. Nobody wants to study the 199th overall Tom Brady and how he had to work through what he needed to, to get there. That story isn't sexy. Yep. Right. The rings are sexy. Seven rings are sexy. Right. The whole <laughs> holding up the hands are sexy. But the story to get there was never sexy. Right. So everything, if you're really committed to something, it's just a matter of adaption. And you don't need anybody to tell you what you can or can't do if you just believe you, you can figure it out. And that goes into the lonely piece, which is number two is it gets lonely and it really does. And I tell people there's a strength in being independent. Mm -hmm. It's a severe strength. But it's sometimes too, I don't want it to get lost that it it does benefit to have people around you that you care yes. about. So how do you balance that being lonely, but not being a curmudgeon? Like you, you're going to be lonely. There's going to be times where you have to make decisions that like, number one, people won't understand. Mm -hmm. But how do you maybe surround yourself with that tight knit circle that's legitimate too? Man, if there's one thing I've seen with athletes that 
my brother and I have been talking about this. We're calling it like a reload program, but like a lot of times, man, athletes don't realize social is something they need to schedule. Right. And it's like, I think, so if you look at it, your, your inner circle is usually an unspoken circle, meaning that, you know, I don't have to talk to this guy for like three weeks because we're both in our own thing, doing our thing. But that doesn't mean anything. Like just because I'm not talking, you doesn't mean I don't care about you or that I don't like you or whatever. Being in that means that you both have a mutual understanding that you're each working on something important. We always say at least one day a month that you completely step right away from everything, absolutely everything, and you schedule that time to see that inner circle. One day a week that you can completely step away from sport, even just for a half day and just reload on your stuff. But making time to actually schedule time with your inner circle and the people you care about, that's important. And that's something that not a lot of athletes pay much attention to. Like whenever we're setting, you know, doing goal setting sessions or um, target setting sessions with our athletes, the first thing we start with actually isn't the target, it's the end date. And the question we always ask is, how do you want to celebrate? Because if you don't take that time to understand that first, you always want to work towards something, right? Like I know for my brother and I, we're going to Rome, for example, in May, and we're going to watch a soccer game. And it's like, okay, we're going to put our heads down for the next four and a half months, and we're going to work. And we're just going to keep our head down. But we know at the end of it, that's what's waiting for us. And that's the thing that's exciting. I think athletes always need something outside of the game to work towards than just well, if, uh, you know, 20 point night, like that's, that's not sexy. That's <laughs> part of your job, right? Right, right. Well, working on, Hey, you know what? I want to be able, like I was talking about this with some guys who are going into the all-star break in the NHL. And there's a few of them that booked, um, a trip to Barbados, I believe. And it's like, guys, six games, six games. And you're on a beach, you're relaxing and think of how you want to feel when you're on the beach. You don't want to be worried about how you perform before that. You don't want to worry about the that you know loose end you left untied. You want to be on that beach completely present and focused on yourself, your wife, and your kids. That's what you're working towards, right? So like the way to combat loneliness, schedule connectivity. <laughs> Incredibly well said. That's awesome. Now, the, these next three, I, I really like too. So this one's a, a big one in getting, I think, ready to accept criticism in the sport is mm. people will talk bad about you, especially when you become successful. Yeah. So I'd love to hear you dive into that and art articulate that thought a little bit. Man, it's the typical, the more you are successful and on a pedestal, the more exposed you are to get picked apart. Right. And it's like, if you really take the time to understand people, there's not one single person who knows like, what you're going through that would start talking ill about you. Yep. You know what I mean? Like the right. great, what, what's the saying? Greats respect greats. Yeah. It's a truth. You might, you might be an enemy on the court or the field or the rink, but doesn't mean you don't respect them. Yep. I think personally, when I hear people talk bad, I think it's a lack of respect that you have for an athlete or like a person in general. I don't think, I think athletes need to realize too, though, that, we're all in a job of criticism. And when you are being an athlete, like you're, you literally signed up to be coached by a coach and that's going to happen. Now, pros, sometimes it happens on a global stage where you also have to take tongue in cheek who those reporters are sometimes, right? Like, come on, let's talk about it for a sec. A lot of times 
reporters are people that have a passion to create. Well, they are a passion, people who are passionate about creating stories. And you have to recognize, again, going back to the coach and job preservation mode, know the animal you're dealing with, right? Especially the reporters who at times, maybe they, they feel like they didn't reach their full potential in sport and they're jealous. And that's a real thing, but it's, you know, the criticism piece you have to understand as an athlete, you signed up for a job that is supposed to be getting picked apart. You need to be good at filtering out what deserves to be changed in your game and what deserves to stay the same. Awesome. Now, every day is a challenge. I think this one's a a given, but I don't think you fully understand it until you're in the thick of it. So how do you maybe embrace that, that mindset? I'm always going back to my earlier point. Like I'm always a big one of embracing the big picture, right? So it's like, it's funny. My brother was just talking to a, a goalie this morning and the goalie goes, oh man, I'm worried about, I'm worried about the wins and stuff. And my brother, Chris goes, when have we ever worried about wins? (laughs) right he's like what do you mean he's like dude remember the big picture for you is ncaa is one game gonna make or break you going to the ncaa no then don't don't your job is to stop the puck and to do that consistently it's like oh so for us it's like for me when it comes to challenge or working with athletes and coming through challenge it's like every single day you need to get in touch with that big picture not your momentary targets but what you're trying to create in the future because if you don't take that time to see it, if you don't take that time to remember it, it's not going to feel like there's something worth working towards. Like I, I know it's a business book, but a book every athlete should read is built to last. It's a really freaking good book. And it's, it's a book about building businesses and companies, but it's the same process we follow with athletes. Know who you want to become, know what your values are, and become what they call this clock builder. And it's like clock builders are people who just work on bettering the clock. Like when you're creating a clock, you just, you, you fine tune everything consistently. And if you have that mindset towards things, it's like, oh, this is what I'm actually trying to build. And when you get out of that mode of like results and into the mode of creation, challenge becomes much more fun. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And the, we talked about it off air and and I feel like you, you kind of, you've been talking about it with, with some of your answers. But mm-hmm. the element of identity, I, I think, is huge mm-hmm. in all this. And I think it, it, it tests well for, for number five here, which is you'll question yourself. Mm-hmm. But can we dive into identity and how you work on it with athletes and how important you think it is to, to really any adversity that you may go through? Man, it's funny. Every program we start, people are like, it's a performance enhancement program. It's like, no, it's a human enhancement program, right? It's, it's funny because I think, I think we underestimate the power we have as humans to really go out there and create like a life that we want, you know, like, like what it is out there. And we were talking about it before, like you were saying off air, where it was about your, your own process too in transition, right. And, and coming out of the pro world. And it's like, I think we don't realize as athletes, the one thing that is getting us to the top and having us perform consistently was never about results. Like, yes, that was the byproduct that's inevitably there, but it was always about becoming the pro athlete, becoming the Olympian, becoming who like insert identity here. Right. And whenever we see somebody who's caught in their own story that they can't do it, it's like, we start every program with one of two sessions. One, if they're going through it in the middle of a season, we start a breakout with a breakthrough session, sorry. And we help them get rid of that. But what we like to normally start with, if they're not going through that is who they truly want to be and getting them to consciously craft that identity of it right it's like 
think bigger than just, okay, I want to be good for my team. It's like, do you want to be somebody that's well involved in the community? That's part of your identity. Do you want to be somebody who is, you know, in this in a way that's, that's impacting the franchise on such a deep level that you're going to one day be missed when you're gone. That's a real thing, right? And it's, you're going to live your life differently when you have that. And it's, I think people don't realize how important it is to consciously select what you want to be and who you want to be. And if you let too many people tell you, they're going to tell you what they want you to be instead of what you want. And that's where the discourse happens and unhappiness happens. I think that's awesome because one thing I always do with athletes too is, you know, either inadvertently or advertently, you're going to be creating an identity. So either someone's going to be telling for you or it's going to happen by accident, or you can consciously choose who you want to be and then develop an action plan of steps that actually determine who you are. So I'm a big believer in it's, it's the actions and the words that we use more. So the actions that really are going to be a vote for who we are and who we want to be. Um, so it's awesome that, that you just said that. And I, I think it, it ties into a lot of the, the issues that we deal with because we don't have a strong foundation of self. You know, yeah. we, we don't know what our values are. We haven't actually consciously chose to be someone of high character. Um, so I, I think it's awesome. I think it's a it's a crutch for for a lot of our issues that we have. Well, man, and even to hit on that, like I think the, I was talking to to Chris about it. So we follow a process here that we created. It's a little methodology, and we say envision the future, resolve the past, create in the present. Right. So if you don't envision in the future, if you don't envision what you want to become in the future, you don't know how to get there. If you have an envisioned future, but you don't resolve the past, you're always going to be oper- operating off of an old software that's probably not good for where you're going. And that resolving of the past is beliefs and behaviors that hold you back. And then you need to create in the present and creating in the present is simply just taking in and learning those new skills, beliefs and behaviors that you need to become that vision, right? So I was ta- my brother and I were talking about it on a, on a podcast we were shooting on our show. And it's like, if you really look at not born with mental challenges, but I mean like born like and like we're not talking like overactive thyroids and and overactive like glands and stuff like that i'm talking like people who fell into depression as they were growing up right people who fell into being more anxious as they were getting older all of that usually comes because of the fact like you can almost break it down to somebody not living life in accordance with who they want to be and what they want to accomplish Right. And it's like, I know that's like, well, that thanks, Captain Obvious, but think about it for a sec. Right. It's okay. Why does somebody get depressed? Usually it's because of the fact that they're living in the past of a result they didn't get. And now going forwards, it's something they can't let go of. Again, envision the future, resolve the past, create in the present. Right. If somebody is super anxious about what's going on, it's like, okay, you're living too far into those old or into the future, you need to resolve that past of the behaviors you were using, which was focusing on the future. Like people don't realize sometimes focus is a behavior, right? Like what you think about our behaviors, it's not just something that's random and miraculous. It's to your point, it's a vote. So it's every, everything man can be boiled down to an identity, right? And if it's like, people say, I want to make a million dollars. It's like, that's great. Then become a millionaire. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> right? right. And if you want to do you, the way to do that is to literally say, okay, well, what are the habits of a millionaire? It's like, it's like with athletes, like people realize too, why can't some people push it to the next level? They just don't have the commitment that somebody who is a gold medal athlete would. 
That's the truth. I, I want to talk about this because this is really important. It's please. It's how do we get people to either recognize that they don't have the commitment or how do we get them to increase their commitment level to raise their game or raise their life or raise their identity? Because that, like what you just said there to me is the biggest difference. The information's out there. The people are out there. You're out there. Yeah. And people just don't want to invest in that aspect of it. Yeah. It's funny, man. So breaking down to the bare bones of human behavior, people do things to avoid pain and gain pleasure. That's it. That's the absolute root of change. So someone will be like, oh, well, you know, change happens because of inspiration or desperation. It's like, yes, but those are the effects, right? So somebody becomes inspired or desperate all because they're avoiding pain. That's at the root of it. So think of it for a second. It's like, why do we go and buy shirts that we see on an advertisement? Because the pain of not having that shirt outweighs anything else, right? So it's like, how do you get somebody to invest in it? It's like, well, or to to realize they need to make that change. You got to see the pain. It's a simple question of if I keep going down this this current path, am I going to be happy with the result? If you are, don't change a thing. Don't change a single thing. Now, if you're looking at it and you're saying to yourself, I want to become this person, the current path I'm on though is to become that person. If I keep going down the path that I'm on and I don't change something, that's the result I'm going to get. People oftentimes, man, don't look at the consequences of their current beliefs and behaviors of what path it's leading them down, right? So it's funny. I was talking to a European soccer team the other day, big, big soccer team in Italy, and we were talking about the transfer market. So in soccer, the way that it works, you don't trade players in Europe, at least in, in America, it works that way. But in Europe, you buy and, and sell rights of the players to the team. And that's how teams make money. So if you build this amazing player, you sell them. It's a great thing. The club gets money for it. So I was talking to him and, and this one team in Italy bought a really prestigious player who was playing for a top team on, on a, in a different team in the league. And he goes, so let me ask you something, Matt. Can you turn a player into a captain? It's like, well, let's really break this down for a second. Because a lot of times and where we help teams kind of save money, it's it's making sure we do those evaluations first with our, we call it a resilience profile that we created, but seeing if the player even wants that first. Because it's like, dude, the only way this individual is going to be a captain, if it's something he genuinely puts meaning behind. Yep. If he's somebody that doesn't feel any kind of meaning towards being a captain, he's not going to do that. And the often the often mistake that teams make are giving players who don't want to be a captain captaincy because they're good. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like changing your identity to come back to it and, and round it off, changing identity or anything. To me, it's always a matter of pain or pleasure. Right. It's like current path. What's the result? Is it crap? Change something, right? And it's seeing that pressure or pain every day. Sorry, I think, I think pain is your best friend. I think people just use it wrong. You know what I mean? Yep. No, I love that, and I think I wish people would embrace pain a little bit more and actively. And I'm not gonna. This may sound dumb, but like, choose to have a little bit of extra pain, or like, put yeah. yourself and do things that are hard or that you don't want to do or that are painful. Because when you start to do involuntary things that cause pain or discomfort, when you get things that you don't want to happen to you, they hurt a little bit less or they hurt for a shorter period of time. And you're able to persevere through those things more. And again, I think that comes back to 
the type of person you want to be. Do you want to be tough? Do you want to be resilient? Do you want to be able to push past things? Um, so I was, again, as many things you've said today, incredibly well stated. Um, I want to dive back a little bit too into the the piece of working through your past. Yeah. Because I think that's something people have a problem with. And they like to blame current events, future events off of past experiences. Mm-hmm. And I can be a little harsh on it when I when I say if something from your past is still hurting you today, it's nobody's fault but your own. Yeah. So do you have like a process of working through the past, particularly if it's, you know, more traumatic than most past experiences? Yeah. So first thing we always do is we look at how the person sees it. Right. So I think perspective is a very, very powerful tool that a lot of times, like I I at least see in this industry, sometimes coaches, therapists, psychologists, they sometimes see it from their own perception instead of understanding in the shoes of the other person. So it's like, okay, you got to understand it first. The second thing to immediately do though, is you got to change the meaning. Like a lot of times people take past traumatic events and it's like, because of that, my life is this. It's like, well, okay, let me tell you about my story for a second. When I was 12 years old, I was severely bullied. I had a coach who was 40 years my senior tell me that I was never going to make it as a pro athlete and that I was fat and I was getting laughed at by my team. And it's like, okay, so I will be honest for for a period there. That was my story of because of that, I can't do this which very much so changed into a meaning of when I really harnessed the power of it, because of that, I can do this. Hey, did I love how the guy told me that I was, you know, bigger and out of shape? No. Was it the truth I needed to hear? Yeah. Now, if even past events too, where it's like, I think right now there's a little bit of a bastardization, if you will, of like past traumas, right? And this is a subject that sometimes gets me because it's like, if there's one thing I've learned, it's decisions, not conditions that determine where you go in life, right? I mean, the classic Tony Robbins, father of life coaching example is when he uses Oprah Winfrey. Woman had a horrible childhood, horrible childhood. Look at her now, right? It's the meaning you consciously decide to give to things. And if this is the other thing I think people need to question on themselves sometimes too, we do a lot, man, on self-sabotage. And it's like, okay, let's talk about, let's go back to that pain or pleasure principle for a second. Do you really want to move past your traumas? Do you? Because a lot of times, man, it is more painful to move on from a trauma and not receive the type of attention that you were getting in love and care and adoration from people than it is to actually get forwards from it, right? And move forwards from it. Because people don't realize like, I'm not talking like I, I get it. I get there's a lot of hard things that happen to some people in life with whether it be abuse or whatever it might be. But it's like you need to work very hard on changing the meaning that you give to that situation and then resolve those beliefs. Because if you keep that, you have to again, it's going down the path. It's like, well, OK, let's pretend you did have a horrible situation like Oprah Winfrey and there was abuse involved and so on. Hanging on to that the current path you're going down, and not just with the results you're getting. Let's talk even deeper. The way you're feeling, is it something you like? And if it's not, you need to change that, 
right? Like I think so many times people just look at surface results and it's like, well, my business is doing well or I'm performing well. It's like, that's great. But what about when you're lying in bed at night and you feel like crap, <laughs> right? right? Go down that path, go down that. And every athlete, I'm going to shatter a belief right now. Any athlete tuning in who thinks that that fuel is the thing that needs to keep them going, I will tell you when you resolve it, it will become even more powerful than when it's causing you the emotional pain that it is. I'm telling you, when you, the most empowering thing I ever did was defeat that coach in my mind and you start sh like in my mind, using it as a way to push me, but yeah. you can't use it to push you truly and honestly until you resolve it. And it's changing the meaning. It's incredible. It's so awesome that you said that because I do think that it's something that we struggle with and for you to put it in that perspective is awesome. Um, two things that, that I, I want to make sure that we touch before we yeah. go. Um, first, I see you talk about it a lot and you've talked about, you know, imagination today already, but the importance of visualization. Yeah. Now I'm a big believer in visualization as a tool to enhance, you know, your, your abilities. Could you talk a little bit about the, the process in, in which you use for visualization? Absolutely. So, man, we've gone down so many different routes with it. I hate to say it, but I've like uh, a lot of athletes that come to us have bad or negative, I should say, past experiences with it because of how it's been taught to them. Sure. So a lot of visualization, man, has a lot of fluff I've learned around it where it's like, oh, picture yourself in the environment. Now see yourself, smell the ice rink or the grass or whatever. It's like, okay, I get it to pick up the sensories, but let's talk about what works. There's three things that we found here. First one being, you got to be able to understand, actually, there's four things, sorry. First thing you got to understand is what situation are you currently struggling with or what do you want to be better at? And once you understand that situation, every situation can be broken down into skills. So I'll give you an example. Yesterday, I was talking to one of our players who's in the MLS soccer and he goes, man, third day of preseason, I said, okay, dude, what exactly do we need to get better at in the first week of preseason to start having that foundation? He goes, okay, got it. When I'm receiving a ball, I need to be good with pressure on my back so that I can receive it on my foot, turn to my right and make a play. Perfect. Let's break that situation down now into two, two skills, receiving the ball and turning. Can we break it down into those two? Yeah. Okay. So that right there is oftentimes where a lot of people already start to get it wrong because they just visualize the end result. But if you're visualizing the end result, that's like saying, I'm going to, I'm going to build a house from the roof down. It doesn't work that way. Right. So once you break it down into two skills or one skill that you can work on, you first need to visualize perfect technique with those two skills. So the way we do it, for example, with the athlete who, who we were using the soccer player, all he was doing for 10 reps, we do three sets of 10 and I'll explain how in a sec. But the first basic thing we had him doing, see yourself receiving the ball perfectly and turning perfectly. Just that motion. Don't worry about the player on your back. Don't worry about anything else. Receive the ball and turn. That's it. Then number two, it's like, okay. Now you need to, to your point before on challenge, you need to add the challenge into it and you need to see yourself getting out of it with those skills. So now you need to see yourself receiving the ball and turning with pressure on your back. Can you do that? Yes. Great. The last part finally is when you can visualize the results and the result for this individual wasn't scoring or anything like that. It was being in the middle of a game, receiving the ball with pressure on him and make, making it one fluid motion to receive it, turn and make the pass. So it's like, now you can visualize that at the end. And when you do that, when you have the basic technique first, add the challenge on and then see the end result. Now you're building your foundation out because a lot of times where athletes come to us, it's like, I'm not getting the results I want with visualizing. It's like, yeah, dude, because it's sporadic. 
Like you need to focus, right? Focus is power. So whenever we visualize with athletes, we say, okay, three sets of 10 reps you need to do. We use, we use an audio track that we just do with all of our athletes. It's a guided visualization. And we have them first visualize the basic technique. Then we do a set of 10 for visualizing how they're getting out of a challenge. And then the third one we have them visualize is the outcome that they want. And it's, it's actually based on research. They did this on, on pro basketball players. They took three groups, 10 players. They said one group of 10, you're not going to change anything with your free throws. The next group of 10, you're going to physically practice your free throws. Like a lot of people do. And the last group of 10, you're just going to visualize perfect free throw technique for, um, three repetitions. Perfect. Perfect. They took the three groups after and they went and measured them. And the ones who did the visualization three times, just three sets of perfectly, perfectly visualizing, um, their free throw got 25% better results. And it's like that even those then who practiced, right. And it's like, what's the common thing people say is repetition, repetition. It's like, well, the only true perfect practice, it only exists in your mind. And if you can use that tool and do it the right way, cutting out all the noise, it shouldn't take you any longer than like 10 minutes to do. That's from what we find the timeless way to visualize, not some trendy crap. No, I love that because I do think that there's a misnomer around visualization and how you described it is almost perfectly identical to how I believe you need to do it. Um, How many times per day do you have people doing that? So we actually have them do it once at night before bed. Um, The reason being is, and we try to do it as close to them falling asleep as we can. So like within probably an hour of wanting to actually go to sleep or 30 minutes, because that's when your brain goes into the theta brainwave. But most importantly, if it's the last thing that you can visualize and think about when you're going to bed, there's so much research done now on the subconscious processes that happen when you go to sleep. So the way that we look at it, it's kind of like downloading the software at night into your computer and then letting the software kind of span out when you're sleeping and letting it do its thing subconsciously. Beautiful. Now, last topic I want to dive into because it's a it's a mindset shift that I really, really love and I saw you mm-hmm. talking about it. The difference between commitment versus sacrifice. Could you explain mm-hmm. maybe what that is and how that perspective shift makes a difference? 100%. It's, um, I think it's everything. Like, it's funny. We got one NFL player who always says, man, I, I hate, I hate the motivational crap. And it's like, yeah, fair enough. And it's like, why is that, dude? And he goes, because, man, people like to glorify for some reasons, um, struggle and suffering. And it's like, okay, let's talk real for a sec. I feel like in the world of sports, people like to glorify sacrifice, but you sacrificing as an athlete, quote unquote, is no different than the painter who's sacrificing to create an amazing art piece and is no different than the singer who's sacrificing hours in the recording studio and so on. So the reason we don't like sacrifice is because it implies in some way, shape or form that you didn't know what you were signing up for. And it's like, everybody quotes sacrifices in life. Sacrifice is a negative connotation. It means that you're giving something up for something that you don't necessarily want to do. But it's like, if you want to become a pro or one of the best of what you do, that's a commitment. It's knowing that you're going to, like we talked about before, needing to update or, or increase, we should say, your identity. And that means by updating your habits and cutting out certain things that no longer serve you. Like if you were to tell me, hey, man, you know what? Um, Matt, you're about to get a heart attack in the next three weeks if you don't change your diet. And I say to you, oh my God, I'm sacrificing now. It's like, that's not (laughs) sacrifice. You're about to die. 
right? right? I'm committing to living longer. There's a big difference. I'm not sacrificing to live longer. Like that's why so many times athletes are like, I'm sacrificing nights out. It's like, no man, study what the best do. Go actually look at how they live their lives. Like sure, you might see LeBron James once in a while partying at a nightclub because he's, you know, choosing to go celebrate. I think, I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago when they won everything, there was a picture of him in the summer and he had like a Cohiba cigar and yeah. it showed how, there was a really big, it was like a super famous picture on Instagram. And um, everyone's like, look at that. LeBron smokes cigars and da, da, da. it's like, he friggin' just, he's in his summer after championship. Are you kidding me? <laughs> right. Of course. Right. But it's like, that's a commitment to that man to not do that. That's a commitment the man makes to not drink, if you will, in in times and all that. It's not sacrifice. It's it's a commitment to being the best version of yourself. Like, I don't know where this started to happen where you need to sacrifice nights out. It's like, no, man, you you're an athlete. You need to sleep. So yeah. don't be stupid, right? It's not, right. oh, I need to sacrifice eating good food. It's like you want to be the best and eat food like the best would. That's a commitment. We say it all the time. When you have an identity. If your identity is to be the best compared to an average individual, and I offered you chicken or pizza, and it's not a cheat day, and I said, just pick what your identity would, you would say, well, the best would pick the chicken. It's like, yeah, man, of course they would. That's the commitment, right? So it's right. like, I don't know, man, there's just so much noise around this six, the, the sacrifice and all that. And I get it's sexy, but it's not reality. No, that's awesome. Thank you for clearing that up, because when I saw that, and I, I had been someone who frequently talked about sacrifice, but when I saw that, I was like, mm. that is an infinite better way to put on wanting to be the best or wanting yeah. to be elite, whatever the case is, or just go from good to great. It's a commitment. It's not, you're not sacrificing. It's a commitment. And I just think it's such a, a better way to, to put that. And it's a better way to help you become, you know, lonely and comfortable and being lonely and comfortable being independent. So I just, I really wanted to to hear your thoughts and explore it deeper because well, man, that's a just, phenomenal thing. Just one like extra take on that too. You know, it's, it's people don't like to commit to the reality of the process in front of them, mm -hmm. right? It, we're like, not to get all philosophical, but we really are in a world of instant gratification. Yes. And dopamine triggers and all that kind of stuff that people want to talk about, but rarely ever know about. And it's like, you know, if you're really trying to build something great, it takes time. It does. And it takes time to craft a high performing athlete the same way it takes time to craft uh, a game changing business that really impacts people. And the question that I think a lot of athletes need to answer is, do you want to make the commitment? Like I see so many athletes who we deal with. And one of the most challenging things we do is when we have them understand what they're willing to commit in order to get to where they want to get to. And it's a, it's a simple process we follow. And it's like, okay, so you're playing in the second tier. You want to jump to the first tier. Here's where you are. Here's what it's going to take. Are you willing to do this? If you're not, that's okay. You, you need to realize, though, like, I think athletes would really benefit sometimes from asking themselves, like sitting down and writing in a journal or having a conversation with someone like yourself, where it's, hey, okay, this is where I want to go, Colin, like, and you say in response, well, okay, let's look at your situation, you're out of shape, you don't have the best shot that you think you do. 
you're starting from behind the eight ball and it's going to take this kind of work and this kind of commitment and this kind of, you know, giving up what you're currently doing to get there. Do you really want to do that? Is it going to make you happier in life? And if it is, run to it, sprint to it, go at it. If it's not, don't do it. Because I will tell you, the disappointment I see in people who don't make it to the next level, when that's what they were wrapping their mind around, and it it's not because they couldn't, it's because they didn't want to make that commitment. The disappointment is often much worse than not committing at all to doing it. You know what I mean? Like, does that yes, make sense? Absolutely. Right? It does. It's like, like the end of sitting there after holding the bag and not getting what you want. It's way worse than knowing what you would have had to commit to up front and just realizing, hey, this isn't for me. Like, I don't want to do this. It's like when my brother and I got into business together. It's like, dude, there's going to be some late nights. There's going to be a lot of early mornings. And there's going to be a lot of probably discourse between the two of us because you have your ideas, I have mine. But at the end of the day, we are here to do what's in the absolute best interest of the company. Are you in for it? And that was a real conversation him and I had at one point where it's like, do we want to do this together? Do we want to push to be, you know, top of the top, best of the best, gold standard? Or do we want to just run a little practice and be happy with that? And it's like, no, we we're we're committed to going to the top. Is it easy? No, but that's the reality we committed to. We're not going to cry about it, right? I think that's a beautiful place to wrap it up because that's really well said, really well articulated. Um, want to thank you so much for coming on. I, I could talk to you for another two hours about a million <laughs> different things. So we'll My have pleasure, to get man. We'll have to get you on again, um, Definitely. but if people want to reach out to you, they want to find you, where can they get to you? Anything Moliteum, M-O-L-L-I-T-E-U-M. If you throw that in Instagram, Google, anywhere, it will either take you to our website, our you know social pages, anything, M-O-L-L-I-T-E-U-M. And then if you guys do want to talk and hit us up, um, anybody that does, there's multiple links all over the place. Just find the one that says either free consultation or the one that says get in touch and you'll have no problem finding us. Awesome. Hey, thank you so much for coming on again. Uh, listeners, thank you for tuning in. Make sure to tune in again next time. Like, rate, download, uh, throw us a referral. Thanks, everybody.